Hi, Grace. Um, after I play drums, I have to, I'm kind of hyped up right now with coffee and drums, so let, let me take a deep breath here real quick. Um, first of all, I just want to uh, thank everybody for coming and, and for worshiping with us. Uh, I want to give you an update on our experiences and what's going on with our, our Canopy family. And many of them are here today, and uh, it's really great to have some of them here now. Uh, for those that don't know, there's another seven that have not arrived yet, and we're still waiting on them. But in getting to know this family and spending a lot of time with them, we've heard their story. Um, I don't know if you know this, but the New York Times came and did a, uh, an article on them a few weeks back. During that time period, we got to hear the entire story, and it was difficult. Um, in that time period, which took about three hours, one of the young men was sitting across the table from me, and they were speaking Portuguese, French, Swahili, everything I couldn't understand. But at the end of the story, when the, the patriarch told what had happened to them, he looked at me, and his eyes said, do you get me? Can you understand me? And I, I, I almost teared up when I saw it because he was pleading, just saying, I want you to get what we've gone through and what's going on. And that sparked in me even more of a desire to get to know them as, as people, not just people who have been through a struggle, but, but people that are here with us and part of us. Um, in doing so, I've realized how very, very similar they are to us. And I've also realized with the struggle that they've gone through how very, very blessed we are and that we're here to impart that blessing to them, to give them what they need to help them along the way with the language and, and just coming along beside them. I had lived in Indonesia for a couple of years and had lived in an area that was under Sharia law and in extreme poverty and worked alongside people every day, it spoke to me then, and this is speaking to me like that did again. Being able to feel that I'm fulfilling a purpose in helping folks, like actually doing the work and getting there. In, in me telling you that, that they're so similar to us, I wanna challenge you that those people that are different than you, that you encounter in your day-to-day -day lives, when you get that nudge that some people call the Holy Spirit or you just you feel it inside your gut that you're supposed to do something, don't be afraid. Just go and do it. Talk to whomever that person is that's different than you because you're going to be so surprised where that can go, the doors that that can open, and the fulfillment that you get from it too. Not only are you helping them do things, but you feel you're, in that, you're on that rail. That's the train you're supposed to be on. And um, right now, uh, we're kind of helping them with the language daily when we speak with them. Um, I've seen some people like today with Peter has been intentional about speaking the language with them to help them along the way. That's one of the things you may want to do is, is just to talk to them uh, when they come because they, they're needing to practice the language for their jobs. Uh, we're still actively looking for jobs for them. If you know of anybody that needs uh, full-time workers, um, let us know. Uh, They'll do anything right now, as long as it doesn't in, require too much in the way of language skills. I do think in a few months that they will be there. They're taking lessons for that. They'll get to it. 
the other thing that I'd like to ask for, uh, well, I'd like to ask for prayer for that. The other two things that we'd like to ask for is they had a laptop that we gave them, and it's since just gone kaput. Um, they have music that's on an SD card. I think that, yeah, it's called an SD card. And we're looking for a laptop that's in reasonable shape to where they can play their music and get on the internet to Skype with their family and friends and that sort of thing. So if anybody has an old laptop with an SD uh, card slot, that would help us out a lot. The other thing that we're needing is a used acoustic guitar. One of the young men, um, we're wanting to teach him how to play guitar. That's something he really wants to do. And if, if anybody has that, we're willing to put in the time to sit down with him once a week and, and help him learn how to play it. Um, so those are the things that we need. Uh, I just thought I'd, I don't know how much time I have left. Does, does anybody have any questions about what we're doing and why we're doing this? Like a quick question or two? We'll try to keep you as updated as we can, but just wanted to give you an update today. Thank you for all your support. A lot of you have really helped out. Yeah. For those of you who are deaf like I am, and I am pretty much deaf, there's a baseball game coming up on August the 10th. Uh, if we sell 200 tickets, one of the refugees within our, our group or within the canopy fold gets to throw out the first pitch. It's going to bring awareness to our family, so they're $8 a piece. Please buy them today through Melissa. She'll be up front when we leave. Buy a ticket or two and help us, uh, help us celebrate them being here. Thank you. Hi guys, I'm Josie Lawson and I went on the 2017 Mexico trip to Ensenada with my youth group and it was, I just, I'm saying my testimony today. Morning, Josie. Hi guys, thank you, that helped a lot, I was feeling really nervous. Okay, so um, while we planned and prepared for Ensenada, like the house build, I totally remember thinking, man, I'm gonna surf and I'm gonna meet cool people and I'm gonna eat tacos and take artsy pictures with my two best friends and you know I did, but Everything else that happened on that trip made those seem like this big. It was so insignificant to everything else that happened. So how do you help somebody understand the, the physical and the emotional journey that you went on in one week? Like, I, I don't know how to do that. So I'm gonna try to answer that question this morning. So stop one was Amarillo, Texas, the very first stop on a journey that unbeknownst to me and my friends would change us for literally forever. So imagine the most Texas roadhouse you can possibly think of, and that's exactly where we went. I don't remember the name of it, but it was really good. Parchment paper for plates, no utensils, and just a pile of meat, and it was amazing. <laughs> Stop two was New Mexico or David's house. Um, John Ray's old colleague, he showed us amazing hospitality by letting us crash at his house for a couple of hours um, from a really long drive and um, no one on this trip will ever let me live this down, but this was the creation of my very own sandwich that had mayonnaise, guacamole, peanut butter, and turkey, and don't let them tell you different, it was amazing. So, 
So stop three was Flagstaff, Arizona. That was probably the biggest game changer. It was the Grand Canyon. Um, we set up campground around in the Grand Canyon. They have little camps. We set up our tents. And let me tell you right now, camping with Connor Murphy, John Ray, and Naomi Ray is probably the best thing I've ever done in my life. They know exactly what they're doing. It was amazing. Um, we kind of also realized what we'd gotten ourselves into when we were cooking chili in a pot on a table outside. So I remember the faces of everybody when we got to the Grand Canyon. We were just like, whoa, this is not real. I mean, I thought it was a green screen because I was like, how can something this huge actually exist? But I realized this is one of God's most amazing creations and we all got to witness it firsthand. So, but the actual miracle was how we were able to get back up. <laughs> we went about four miles in and we were like, okay, we can do this. We went back up, it was, it was terrible. It took us about two hours extra and about 50 breaks more. So having friends that you never knew you'd come to love so dearly is, and through so much of these experiences has been the best kind of experience and friendship for me, in my opinion. So now I can say I hiked the Grand Canyon. Well, you know, eight miles, that's great. Uh, stop four, San Diego, California. Mark and Allison Owen, a bunch of you know them, they were the realists and they gave us the much needed indoor shelter for the night, which no beds, but still it was a big step up from a tent. No, no shade, I loved camping, don't get me wrong. Um, I remember I felt a lot closer to everyone there after you know we had pizza and we told ghost stories and we played pool. Jordan Cook and Colton Townsend taught me how to play pool and I'm, eh, you know, I'm okay at it. And then, of course, we got to sing the last of our trip anthem, All Star by Smash Mouth. So, stop five. The final stop to our journey was Ensenada, Mexico. Mexico, sorry. So Friday at 8 a.m., we woke up, we made our way to the build site, and through these neighborhoods where these kids were just playing on rusty boat skeletons and jumping on dirty mattresses, it was filthy, and they were chasing down families of chicks. So to us Americans who, you know, we're cultured in suburban white neighborhoods and clean water, we think, oh my gosh, that's dangerous, it's depressing, it's filthy, and something that needs to be remedied, right? But I mean, to these kids, it's the only playground they're ever gonna have, and maybe the best one they will ever have. So out the window, I saw nothing but just matted dogs covered in fleas, and they were limping and giving birth everywhere. There were puppies running around, kids everywhere, and cardboard shacks for houses. And it was the most depressing thing I've ever seen. And I, th I thought, I remembered, okay, is this like a movie set where the director's gonna yell cut and all the walls are gonna come down and I'm gonna be like, oh, that was fun. But I mean, no, this was, this was legit. And then I remember, it all became really real to me when my foot departed from the bus onto the sand, into this dirt road leading to a slab of concrete that was gonna house a family of four, a beautiful family of four. So my 17-year-old brain, now my 18-year-old brain, was having a really hard time comprehending what the heck is going on. Like, places like this are not just in movies. They're not just in the newspaper or on Wikipedia pages. They're real places where real people with real stories are living in filth. So I remember I looked, got off the bus, and I saw Angelina, the mom, holding her hand like this, and she was just crying her eyes out. She was so happy to finally have someone to come rescue this family. And I wanted to talk to her. I didn't know how our translator was up in the bus. Her name was Annabelle, and I was like, how can I talk to her? I know basic Spanish, very basic. So I went up to her, and I held out my hand like this. And she came up to me, and she grabbed me in for a hug and she held on to me for a good two minutes. And she's about like this big, so she's like a foot shorter than me. And she was just holding on, and it was, for the first time in my life, it was no language barriers, no cultural barriers. It was me 
and my team of 20 people building a house for this family. And that's when it became really real and it hit me. And I remember thinking, I'm gonna make that possible. I'm doing something for this family. So over the course of those two really brutal days, I watched the house go up little by little. We nailed and we hammered and worked our butts off and it was amazing. And I remember seeing us grow as a community. Like these are, this is a group of 20 people I had, I didn't know any of them, most of them, and I was best friends with them by the time it was over. And then I began to understand that community, fellowship is not just, it's not, the church is not just a place, you know, that's not where it's at, it's where the people are. That's where true fellowship lies, is wherever you go and you spread the word of God. And it, it, I was overwhelmed. I just, I felt sense of togetherness and happiness in the air when everyone was contributing their part to make this, a, you know, a possibility. And I, I learned the names. I don't remember them now, but I played with all the neighborhood kids, and they asked me questions in Spanish I didn't understand, and they caught salamanders. And I learned about all their personalities, and they made me laugh so hard. And then I remembered, and I didn't even think about it, I'm not speaking the same language as these kids, and I didn't even think about it half the time. They were just kids to me, nothing more. So six in the next morning, we'd got home, gone to the beach, and then Clary and I roomed together, and I remember her alarm went off, and I just groaned, and I was like, here we go again. So I got up, and then I remember before I had left 2828 a couple weeks ago, my mom had said, you know, you need to be prepared that this is going to be an emotional roller coaster once the house is finished for everybody, and I was like, yeah, okay, I know that. I was not prepared for what was actually going to happen. So it was busier, more straining on build two. The events that were coming were making me really excited and like really anxious. And I was like, all right, let's get this house built. And then, you know, I got to have my time on the roof where Naomi Ray said the best thing ever. She said, she likes to build on the roof because it's a certain amount of people and everyone up there has to be competent. And I was like, yeah, that's true. So to my surprise, when, when Newton rolled around, the families, extended families started gathering. And see, I saw their house and it's maybe about as big as this rug and it's got tires stacked to the top and then a stove and a bed. And they brought about like 15 of their extended family and they cooked just a buffet of fish tacos for us and they were the best fish tacos ever. John told me that's about a week's salary for that family, a week salary to build, to make that meal for 20 people. And if that doesn't put things in perspective for you guys, I don't, I don't really know what will. So, I mean, gosh, that alone just got me, it's getting me choked up. So, once the time, like when we hammered the last nail, we painted the last scratch and straightened the last piece of silverware, I could feel the tears coming on. I was like, okay, here we go. We gathered in a circle, each person was blessing the key to the house, and we'd put blessings all up in the, you know, the walls and everything before we put the drywall up. And I said, I was too choked up to say anything else, but I said, trust in God and hold on to hope. And I gave him the key to the next person in line. So we got, the, we got the house finished. They went in. And we heard them laugh and just cry. And then Juan, the youngest, he was like, mi casa, mi casa. He's carrying a sack of potatoes. He was so excited. And I was, it, just, it was so beautiful. And then when they came out, I got to say a few words to them. And I remember I got Annabelle to translate for me. And I just said, you know, thank you for changing my heart and changing my life and sending me back to Fayetteville, a completely different person than I was coming in. And then she said to me, translated, she said, 
words cannot, I cannot put into words how grateful I am that you guys came and saved my family. And that stuck with me hard. And then it hit me again. This family, this, this beautiful, beautiful family changed me and everyone there far more than I could ever hope to change them. So I want to say a legitimate and genuine thank you from the bottom of my heart on behalf of everyone who went on that Mexico trip to just say thank you for allowing us to have this opportunity to grow as a group and as a community. Because without this opportunity, I wouldn't have gotten to see, meet new friends in Mexico. I wouldn't have grown closer to God. I wouldn't have grown closer to my family, my church family. And I wouldn't have been able to better understand myself and my relationship with God. So everyone, everyone you talk to who went on this trip has a different version of what happened in Mexico in Sonata 2017. Thank you, Grace Church, for listening to mine. Well, good morning, Grace. Um, Josie, you said that very well. Uh, nothing like uh, 110 heat with a, a team full of joyful people. So the Bible says, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day and stay warm, eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What does that do? So you see faith by itself without, is not enough unless you produce, it produces good deeds. Otherwise, it is dead and useless. So praise God, Grace, all of you. All of you worked hard to help us go. And so we participate together in the rejoicing of the experience that we had down there. When we looked at Pablo, Angelica, Juan Diego, and Nayeli, they lived in the shed that Josie described on a dirt floor, but they were full of joy. They no longer dread the rain coming in on their few possessions now. Their smiles and hugs expressed the love and gratitude, even though we had a language barrier, we didn't have a people barrier. So I'm just gonna take a couple moments to have some memory moments here. So the camaraderie on the job site and the laughter, I agree was fun, enduring 110 heat. Uh, we, some of us that are not as young as the others had personal challenges that we wanted to accomplish and did, such as Terry Naylor nailed the last nail in the roof. Um, uh, the local children played in this dirt and dust. Uh, they ran, they played chase. They played in an empty boat called the Titanic. Um, one puzzle in the dirt. But they didn't know they were poor. They were full of joy and had family and community. That's a perspective to grab hold of. Um, sharing meals at the YWAM base with our team and with other people down there serving. A little bit of beef jerky taste testing maybe. Um, that's, that was a fun one. Um, the cooling cloths on the job site, handing out a lone toothbrush when needed or sunburn relief along the way. We worked together and helped one another. And then as we gathered in that circle, for each of us to say a blessing to this family as they stood there humbly, silent, but crying. And then they received the keys and blessed us back. 
They were very grateful. And then when it was all over, we actually did have a celebration dance, uh, which Eloa, Jane, Josie, and Jordan taught us they could get on now. Um, and then the praise time we had on the beach while we watched John and Danny teach the teenagers how to surf. That was great. The kind and loving people of Ensenada, all the people, not just in reference to the house build, all of the people were glad we were there. And above all, I'd say sharing the experience with number three son, Connor. It was a great Murphy clan. But thank you for sending us. So yeah, we've all talked about uh, the sense of community and the sense of um, service that we all experienced down there. Um, when I joined Grace Church about five years ago, the first thing I did was surround myself with great people like Brian and Debbie and Pete and Martha and the Halls and the neighbors. Uh, it was my first experience with small groups. And it, um, one of the first things that I prayed for was that uh, my son Connor would uh, sometime, somehow, would find that uh, community that he would fit in with. And um, it, this, uh, this past travel to uh, Mexico was certainly that time. Um, the, the look in the, in the family's eyes um, when we handed them the keys was just uh, overwhelming. But um, again, the biggest thing that I came away with was that uh, finally my son had had a chance to experience that community and that service and that, um, that uh, great feeling that God is with you and God, through him, we can accomplish anything. Good morning, Grace. Good morning. This trip was pretty personal for me, so I'm going to get a little personal this morning. <clears throat> Six months ago, if you'd have told me that today I'd be standing in front of a congregation, I would have said you were absurd. Six months ago, I would have said that all of this was silly. And truthfully, that's because I'm an arrogant sinner. That's because I had built my own little kingdom that sat on a lump of sand. In the past, I've told God that I didn't need him anymore. That in fact, the world would be better off without him and his ridiculous book. It was easy for me to be angry with God. I had a lot of reasons. In fact, hiking into the Grand Canyon and back out again was a perfect metaphor for myself. Each step of the way I took away from God was easy. The earth literally did most of the work for me. All I had to do was keep myself standing, and down, down, down I went, not even looking back up to see how far I'd gotten away from the top. I just enjoyed the view of descent. And let me assure you, I got way down there, down to the silty banks of the Colorado River, and that's where I built my own little kingdom. But it came time for me to come up, and you can ask any of the teenagers, coming up is the hard part. And even though my default emotion towards God had been anger for eight years, I found that Jesus was there the entire time, waiting for me to say, I can't do this alone. After eight years, asking Christ to come back into my life was like shaking hands with an old friend. I can't say I'm at the top yet, but I'm off the bank, and he showed me the way. Throughout this trip, God chipped away at me. He cut deep into my guilt, 
set fire to my vanity and carved into my arrogance. Then it seemed he held a mirror in front of me and said, this is you. And boy, was it good to see me again. During this adventure, I cried, I laughed, I prayed, I contemplated. I was happy, I was sad, I was dehydrated, I hit myself with a hammer. I got blisters all over my hands. I breathed in more than my share of drywall dust. And I loved every minute of it. Because each step of the way, I felt like I was making a difference. Each step of the way, I felt like I was praising God with my actions. Each taxing step felt like a step back up the canyon wall. Building home for people who lived in a structure that looked like it could just fall over was amazing. It was nothing short of life changing. But looking into the eyes of the teenagers as they saw the Grand Canyon for the first time, climbed down into it, arduously came back out, as they helped each other through the hot and the dry, the cold and the wet, making each other meals and comforting each other through hard physical and emotional times, believing in themselves, believing that through Jesus Christ and the community that he has undoubtedly created here, that they can make a difference. They can change the world. And that's where God is to me. That's where my faith is. I'm pretty familiar with little kingdoms built on sand, and I've yet to see one do that. I'm a sinner. I'm an arrogant, selfish sinner. And six months ago, I wouldn't have believed that my heart could or should reach past the door. But I'm so thankful that I can stand here in front of all of you and today with my heart of hearts say, I want this. I'll thank God every day for the wanting of more and I'll thank God every day for this community. May God bless all of you. Thank you. So now we'll enter a time of reflection. Um, we'll move toward the, the Lord's Supper. Our table.